Galatians chapter 6 and looking this evening at verses 14 and 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, especially the words of verse 14. God willing, from now till uh, the communion at the end of next month, uh, five uh, intervening Lord's Days, I'm going to look in the evening at uh, some verses or passages that deal specifically with the cross of Christ, with the death of Jesus on the cross. And that will take us to look at the cross in relation to our lives personally in different ways uh, and to try and prepare for the communion where we remember the Lord's death in the Lord's Supper where, of course, the cross is such a central feature of the uh, death that we remember as the death of Jesus on the cross. So we'll look at uh, some studies like, for example, uh, Philippians chapter 3 where Paul speaks about being enemies of the cross of Christ. So we'll ask a question, what is it to be an enemy of the cross of Christ? And uh, correspondingly, what is it to be a friend of the cross of Christ or of the Christ of the cross? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, we'll look uh, there at the cross as the wisdom and the power of God. How is the cross the wisdom of God as well as being the power of God towards the salvation of his people. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Thirdly, we can look at that passage which deals with Christ himself enduring the cross and the shame of the cross. Uh, what was the shame of the cross? How is it uh, a thing of shame? And how did Jesus endure that shame of the cross? And then uh, in Luke chapter 9, we'll finish by uh, Christ's own emphasis there on our taking up the cross, taking up our cross and following him. What does it mean to take up your cross? How does that relate to the cross of Jesus himself? What is the connection between what he calls taking up our cross and the cross of Jesus himself? But tonight we're looking at this uh, passage where Paul is uh, boasting in the cross of Jesus or glorying in the cross of Jesus. And he's dealing here, as you can see, very much with his own personal relationship with the Lord. He's personalizing it very much where he's saying, be it far from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So the cross of Jesus there is very much taken by Paul into his personal experience, his relationship with Jesus himself and with the death of Jesus on the cross particularly, as he says here that the world has now been crucified to him and he has been crucified to the world. Now the focus here is on boasting in the cross. He says, be it far from me to boast, or in the old translation, God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he means by boasting is really to have your confidence in something. When Paul uses this word, he's, he's dealing with uh, having your confidence in something or trusting in something or rejoicing in something. All of these shades of meaning 
come into the word that Paul is using and is translated in different ways because of that either boasting, having your confidence in it, uh, trusting in it and what he's saying here is the cross that I'm boasting in it's the cross I have my confidence in it's the cross I'm trusting in it's the cross I'm rejoicing in that's where my boast is I'm not as we'll see in the flesh or anything out with of that because the great question really that arises from what Paul is saying here and indeed all the way through Galatians that's the burden of the epistle to the Galatians is this great question how do I come to be right with God how do I come personally in my own relationship with God how do I come to be set right with God what is it uh, as the ground of my acceptance with God is it something I'm able to do myself is it within myself is it within my own ability it is, is it in how committed I am to serving the Lord is it in how diligent I am in following certain rules and certain uh, aspects of a confession is that what gives me the ground of confidence is that where is that where my acceptance with God is grounded is it built upon that or is it something outside of myself is it something entirely to do with what someone else has done for me and of course what he's saying is it is that and that someone is Jesus and Jesus' death on the cross is the ground upon which acceptance with God is based you can put other words to it that Paul uses elsewhere our justification how we come to be righteous in the eyes of God and accounted righteous in the eyes of God and declared by God to be righteous perfectly how am I that? Is it by my own keeping of the standards of the law of God? Well, we'll see, that's what Paul tried to do. That's what Paul was sure he was doing until God showed him that that's actually not the ground of your acceptance with God. It's rather in the cross of Christ, what Jesus has done for us. That's the big question then tonight. How am I set right with God? And you can follow that for yourself, and I can follow it for myself as well, by another question, am I therefore right with God? Am I indeed in God's favor? Have I come to be set right in righteousness before God? Or am I mistaken about that? Because what Paul is dealing with here is obviously fundamentally important, not just in terms of what we experience, and what our thoughts might be but on what our relationship with God actually is is it really that he accepts us fully in Christ or otherwise so let's look at the two things uh, that we want to focus on this evening first of all Paul here sets out a repudiation of boasting in the flesh and by the flesh we'll see that he means his own ability or his own work um, his own ability to to please God as he once saw it so it's a repudiation a casting away of or turning his back upon the idea that he can boast in the flesh that he can have confidence in that rather than in the cross of Christ secondly we look at uh, a celebration of boasting in the cross because at the same time that he repudiates boasting in the flesh he actually says that he does boast in the cross of Christ God forbid or uh, be it far from me to boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ 
So here he is saying he's repudiating boasting in the flesh. Now he's been going through uh, the epistle, uh, the, the letter here, in various ways setting out the works of the flesh. The previous chapter has that towards the end of the flesh uh, uh, as against the, uh, the work of the spirit or the fruit of the spirit. And what Paul is actually facing in uh, the problem that the Galatian Christians had uh, and this is itself significant this, is, uh, uh, this was very much a threat to the gospel as Paul knew the gospel and knew what the gospel was salvation in Christ offered to sinners like ourselves that salvation in Christ is based upon the death of Christ and Paul in writing to the Galatians knew that that was under threat and so much so was it under threat that when you go back to the first chapter and verse 7 you can see Paul's sense of real annoyance that the Galatians have actually allowed this teaching to infiltrate their own thoughts and their own fellowship uh, and the point there is that the threat to the gospel for the Galatians was not outside of the church not outside of those who were actually confessing Christ it was actually inside and that's why he says in verse 7 uh, in verse 6 of the first chapter I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel not that there is another one but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you let him be a curse. You can't get stronger language than that. And it shows you how seriously the, the apostle took this matter that he could use such language. Because this uh, idea, as we'll see, that something other than or something in addition to the death of Christ was needed for the ground of our acceptance with God. To Paul, that was an anathema because it meant it was destroying the gospel and the gospel that he had preached said uh, the death of Jesus is what God has provided to answer for all our sin and all our debt in, in our sins so it's a threat to the gospel and what they were saying these, these um, opponents of Paul and of uh, those who had set out this teaching was you need to be circumcised as well as trusting or believing in Jesus you need to be circumcised now that of course was the Old Testament way of um, showing that you belong to the covenant people of God as God had all the way back to Abraham where he had initiated the ceremony of circumcision it's been replaced in the New Testament by baptism but that ordinance that outward ordinance here were people who were actually saying this is absolutely essential you can't be a Christian without that you can't be accepted by God without this circumcision as well as what you believe well, here is Paul saying circumcision counts for nothing not uncircumcision but a new creation you see Paul is saying it's not something either done to you outwardly or something that you yourself are able to do that gives you the ground on which you are accepted with God God has done that in the death of Jesus and nothing is to be taken from it or added to it that's the ground of our justification our acceptance with God our being righteous in the presence of God and the motive of course he's saying also in verse 13 there 
Um, even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in you flesh. That they may say about themselves, well, we've actually won that argument, and we actually now are successful in what we're saying in regard to what it means to be right with God. That's what they're aiming at. He says, don't listen to them, don't accept that, because they're just using you as a ground to promote themselves. That too, of course, was a serious issue for the apostle. So, how are we set right with God? Well, it's not anything other than in the cross or by the cross. Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing is added to it or taken from it. If you go to um, Paul's uh, testimony, if you like to call it that, in Philippians chapter 3, if you just flick over a few pages, and you come to his letter to the Philippians, and chapter 3. Again, he uses very strong language there to um, pretty much set out the same thing. He's facing a very similar uh, set of opponents when he wrote to the Philippians as well. And um, look at what he's saying right near the beginning of the chapter there. Verse 3, he says, For we, that's we who believe in Christ and accept the death of Christ, as our ground of acceptance with God. We are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God or in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Now that word glory is the same as it's using in Galatians to boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Why is he using the word flesh? What does he mean by that? Going back to Galatians. Well, then he gives us, if you like, an exposition or a, an opening up for our understanding of what he means by the flesh. Uh, so it's not that we are to um, boast in the flesh, because this is the flesh, he says, although I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I more circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, that's by those things, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. See, all the way through there, Paul is saying, this is how I used to think. This is how I used to live my life. I thought that the works of the flesh, the works of my own ability, my own keeping of the law of God, my own being true to what God had set out in his law for me as the moral basis of my acceptance with God, that's how I once thought I was made acceptable with God and I had worked that acceptance up for myself. And there are many Christians, people in the world today, who would say, this is why I am a Christian, because I do such and such, or because I don't do such and such. You would find that um, quite commonly to be the view of people in the world, and people even in the church in the wider sense, who would say, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian, because I do such and such. Whereas well, Paul is saying, I'm a Christian on the basis of what Christ has done for me. 
My acceptance with God is not by the works of the law, by the works of the flesh. It's not in my being circumcised. It's not for you or, or for me. It's not in our being baptized. It's not in our uh, appearance. It's not in the clothes we wear. It's not in the upbringing. It's not in the family we belong to. It's not the church we belong to. It's nothing in terms of any tradition in itself that gives us that acceptance with God because they are all additions to the cross. And what he's saying is, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. He's ruling out everything else and particularly his own ability, his own doings, the works of the flesh. And he's narrowing it down and confining it to this. To the cross of Christ. That's why he's saying at the beginning of chapter 5, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The person who tells you, you can't possibly be a Christian if you dress that way. Uh, you can't possibly be a Christian if you, uh, if you do certain things that traditionally are not associated with Christianity. I'm not saying by this at all that there isn't a very high standard of Christian behavior or even of Christian appearance as far as modesty and things like that go. But they are not the ground of our acceptance with God and never can be. Only the cross is that. We have to guard that jealously because uh, for one thing uh, as we'll see that's what Paul is confining it to absolutely God forbid that I should boast except in the cross so tonight what in terms of your own life what are you basing your acceptance with God on where is your acceptance in your own thinking? Where is your acceptance of God situated or grounded? On what foundation does it rest or does it stand? Is it that you go to church? Is it that you pray certain times in the week? Is it that you read the Bible? Uh, is it that you actually know other Christians and delight to be with them? Uh, is it any of these things or other things that you are able to do yourself? Well, I hope not of myself and of yourself. I trust not. Because what this is saying to us, what God is saying to us through this passage is my acceptance with God is based on the cross exclusively. What Christ has done for me. You see, the logic of it is this. If my acceptance with God and your acceptance with God were in any way to be of the works of the flesh or based on my own ability or something that I'm able to do, in a life of good works or whatever you call it, why would Jesus have to die? Why would the Son of God come into this world specifically to give his life and to die that death of the cross if in any way at all I can be accepted with God by something I do myself? It would be unjust of God to give his son to the death of the cross unless it is because of this because I have nothing whatsoever that I can do that I can think that will give me acceptance with God it's all in what he has done and what he has done in his death particularly 
is what I boast in, what I have confidence in, the only ground of my acceptance with God. That's why Paul is using such strong language, um, be it far from me, far from it, uh, uh, far be it from me to boast. Um, the older translation, as I mentioned, perhaps brings it out even more strongly. God forbid that I should boast. Let this never actually be the case with me. That's a very strong assertion and point um, language used to make the point by the apostle. And this is why he's using such strong language. Not only is the gospel under threat by this kind of teaching coming to infiltrate um, the church, but for his own personal salvation and for all our, our salvation personally of all of us. Unless it's the cross that proves to be the ground of our salvation, then uh, there is no other ground of acceptance with God at all. But that tonight surely is your confidence, your um, place of boasting or of confidence, your rejoicing, your trust, your security, is in all that Jesus has done, the death that he died as God's provision against our sin and our lostness. So that's the repudiation of boasting in the flesh. But secondly, a celebration of boasting in the cross. God forbid, or let it not be, that I should boast except in the cross. And you see, when he's saying this, we mustn't think that he's not actually boasting in the cross. He is. He really is boasting in the cross. He's rejoicing in this cross. He's finding in this cross his absolute security and his trust and his trust and his confidence is holy in this cross and what Jesus has done in his death. He's celebrating the exclusiveness of the cross, if you like. No, that's not um, popular for us to think in those terms today of anything that's exclusive because we live in a world that wants to be inclusive. And sadly, there are many species of theology as well that wants to be as inclusive as possible. I'll mention that in a minute. But what, what Paul is saying is the cross exclusively, to the exclusion of all else, all others, and all other works, is my ground of acceptance with God. God forbid that it should be otherwise, that I should think otherwise. It's such an important, foundationally important thing because the cross has met uh, all of God's demands, has paid the price of our sin. Jesus has done that in his death. He has himself endured the wrath of God. He's taken our place. All of these things the cross has achieved. And that's why it has to be the cross alone in which we boast. But then he mentions a separation. He says, God forbid, be it far from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now he's got that separation in mind there. He's quite specific about it. By the cross, by the death of Jesus on the cross, it's come about now, he says, in my own experience, in my relation to this Jesus and to this cross, that the world has been crucified to me. As far as I'm concerned, he's saying, the world has been crucified. By the world, um, Paul actually means um, what's opposite to the new creation. We 
often think of the world as that which is opposed to God and that's essentially what the Bible means often by the world it's not the geographical thing but it's that spiritual, that moral thing that stands in opposition to God until God comes and changes our lives so it become a new creation and what he's saying here is the world, that view and that world, that outlook that, that approach to things that is the world that's been crucified to me I have put that away I put it to death I'm done with it that's the flesh that's how I once used to think and I have no confidence in that anymore as in Philippians 3 we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit and boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh the flesh, you could say, in many respects, is the world. The world's view of how we come to be, uh, live acceptable lives or be acceptable with God. No, he says, I put that away. I have crucified it. It's crucified to me. Now, in other words, Paul and the world, Paul and the flesh, have parted company. But they've not parted company as the best of friends. Because Paul knows that the world is actually not his friend, it's his enemy. You go back to uh, what he says here in chapter 5, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You go back earlier in the chapter uh, where he says the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What a list that is. And yet it's not complete. But that's the flesh. That's the spirit of the world. That's what's been, now he says, uh, crucified to me. I've turned away from that. I've put it behind me. I've had a separation between myself and the world. But there's a corresponding reaction on the part of the world because Paul speaks here in uh, chapter 5 about a warfare. In verse 17, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit or war against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for these are opposed to each other or against each other. See, when you come to be um, renewed in Jesus Christ, when you come to be a new creation, this is exactly what happens. The world comes to be crucified to you, and the world, as it looks in at you or upon you, sees you as crucified to it, separated from it. The world is turning its back on you as you turn your back on the world. What is, what is uh, opposed to God, what's at enmity with God for the Christian, that's something that's crucified. The flesh, the world, the devil. And as far as the world is concerned, the Christian is put at a distance as well. The person who is in Christ, the person who is true to Christ. And there's a conflict because these things are mutually exclusive. corresponding reaction of the world is that the world is that he is crucified to the world as well 
And in order uh, to really see how up-to-date this message is, think of how that fits into the thinking of our own society and indeed, sadly, of aspects of the church today as well. Because you have not only uh, people who, are, who stand in opposition to all that is, uh, that is true of Christianity, but sadly you find some who are evangelicals. People who confess some of the core doctrines of the faith and yet will actually nowadays say, oh, I don't believe that Christ is a substitute on the cross. I don't believe that you should have an idea that God is really essentially angry with anybody and that Jesus as a substitute took the wrath of God to himself. Uh, some evangelicals will now say that is actually just abuse. That's cruelty. It's equivalent to personal or child abuse. That's the kind of language that's used. Uh, that's something that's infiltrated the church in the wider sense the church in our day, the church in our context, in the world in which we live, in the generation we belong to. And in addition to that, of course, you have more recently as well the addition of LBGT issues, and people will say you have to be inclusive. As a Christian and as a church, you have to be inclusive and uh, accept such things as LBGT Christianity, LBGT Christians. Well, I hope nobody misunderstands this because for one thing as a church we are inclusive in terms of loving people in order to see that they are welcomed in the church but with a view to being the kind of people God would have them to be don't think that we're actually against people themselves we have to be welcoming to every kind of person and trust that they'll come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and whatever lifestyle they're actually living in that is against the will of God and the word of God our intention is to actually lovingly present the gospel to them in such a way that will actually be blessed by God so that they'll come to find and know the truth for themselves because this is not the truth and not in accordance with the truth I know that's unpopular I know that brings a lot of um, uh, opposition to people who stand up and say this sort of thing and especially say it publicly but it has to be said that's why Paul is saying God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Christ by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world you see he's saying here that uh, these people who uh, in his day were desiring them to be crucified in Galatian church so that they may boast in your flesh. And as you go back over what he's been saying previously, you can actually see that uh, what he calls the offense of the gospel is uh, something that will have ceased. If I become inclusive, he says, to that extent, then the offense of the gospel will actually cease. Why, he says, uh, do I still suffer persecution? If in fact, uh, if in fact, uh, I'm uh, not true to God and not true to what he's what he's actually saying uh, in terms of of the gospel itself. Um, so what he's saying really essentially is this: 
to be inclusive is really, and, and this is really the problem we're facing today, I think, very much. We don't want, or, or the people who advocate this set of inclus this inclusiveness, they don't want people to be offended by the gospel, offended by some of the teachings of the gospel, offended by the fact that God says you have to be born again if you're going to be saved, offended by the fact that God is saying you have to live in a way that's true to my standard, true to my will, true to my word, where my will is set out. You cannot have the gospel and the gospel message without the element of offensiveness because to me as an individual in my sinful state, God coming to me and saying, unless you change, you're not going to be saved. You'll go to a lost eternity. I will say back to God in my natural state if I'm still unsaved, if I haven't had my eyes opened, I find that offensive. Of course you find it offensive meant to be offensive it's meant to get to your conscience otherwise what's the point of the gospel when Christ crucified is so different to what we ourselves would want in our own natural way of thinking that's why um, one of our studies will be in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 because not only is the cross the power of God at work in tackling sin, providing salvation, it is the wisdom of God. And in that passage, Paul is dealing with how contrary the thinking and the wisdom of God is to that of the world. And that's what he's saying here in Philippians 2. Yes, we want to be inclusive in a good sense. But what he's saying really is if the cross does not antagonize. We're not preaching the cross properly. If we're saying inclusive in the sense of just leave everybody the way they are, but include them and love them, well, that's not true to God, is it? It's not true to what he's saying. The cross has its own offensiveness towards human thinking. I cannot come to make the cross something that's desensitized. Something that after all isn't offensive. And you might even say what is as offensive as the Son of God giving himself to the death of the cross to the wrath of God for sinners. Of course that's offensive. There's nothing nice about the cross. But it's all to do with our redemption. With God's wisdom. With the ground of our acceptance with God. And it destroys the idea that sadly is promoted even in the church today. That you and I are essentially good. That at heart in our souls we're essentially good we just need a bit of a bit of tidying up a bit of reformation just a little bit here and there to help us be better people and the gospel is an example in the example of Christ Paul is saying God forbid that I should boast in that sort of thing so even the cross 
in all its offensiveness and all the wisdom of God in it because this is Paul's great concern that you and I be saved uh, that the Galatians be saved that you and I be saved is God's great concern as we come to read his word and deal with these issues difficult as some of them are to deal with it's not a case of winning arguments friends it's a case of winning souls that's what God is about it's not one set of arguments against another and one set of arguments coming out on top that's not what we're in although that's part of how we reason the gospel it's winning souls it's boasting in Christ Jesus and in his gospel it's regarding the gospel of Christ and it's regarding the cross of Christ as the ground on which we are accepted one of the founding fathers of the free church Thomas Guthrie in one of his writings uh, says as follows once a Golgotha the place of a skull Calvary has ceased to be a place of skulls where men once went to die they now go to live and to none that ever went there to seek pardon and peace and holiness did God ever say you are seeking me in vain why? because that is where Jesus died and in the death of Jesus God was laying out the foundation of our acceptance with him. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. Lord our gracious God help us we pray to Understand your word as you set it before us. Forgive us, we pray, for our inability in handling it and dealing with it. We pray for your spirit, Lord, to enlighten our hearts, to open up our minds, to teach us, for you are the great teacher. We pray that you would bless your word to us, that we may indeed have our lives set upon that proper ground of acceptance in the death of Jesus the Savior. We thank you for that death. We thank you for all that it is to your people. And we thank you for its exclusiveness and for the way that you require nothing in addition to it as the ground upon which we come to have your favor. Uh, bless to us, we pray, your word again. Grant that you bless us now throughout this week we've entered upon. In all our ways, help us to acknowledge you and to thou direct our paths in it. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll sing now in conclusion the Psalm 89. That's in uh, Scottish Psalter, Psalm 89, page 345. And the tune this time is Newington. We're singing verses 15 to 18. Page 345 at verse 15. O greatly blessed the people are, the joyful sound that know in brightness of thy face, O Lord, they ever on shall go. To the end of verse 18, to God's praise. Oh, greatly blessed the people are
I'll go to the side door to my left this evening. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore. Amen.